So good to know that we have a good, good Father who loves us, particularly when we get into Scripture passages that we're dealing with today. We need a whole lot of extra love and uh, for us to understand. Uh, so we're looking at Colossians. We're in chapter 3. We're drawing to the end of chapter 3. And this morning, I'm going to be jumping back and forth, just a couple of verses from Colossians 3 and actually a few more from Ephesians chapter 5. Colossians 3 verse 18, then I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 5 starting with verse 22. I'll jump back to Colossians 3 and then go back to Ephesians 5 because the topics are together. Colossians chapter 3 verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Over in Ephesians 5, verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is a Savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Over to Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then verse 33 says, However, each one of you, husbands, all also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now you may be thinking, Boy, Pastor, I hope you've done some deep Greek delving here and telling us this ain't so. Okay, show us something different. I want to hear something different. Well, as in everything in Scripture, we always need to read the passages in context. We need to ask the question, what does my passage that I'm reading and studying right now, um, what is that, how does that fit into what's already been said, whether it's in the chapter, the book or letter, or the entirety of Scripture? And this passage in Ephesians, in connection with Colossians, has got to be read in light of what Paul has already said in his letter to the gospel, uh, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if it isn't, it will be completely misunderstood and often is. His key point is that the way a wife relates to her husband and the way the husband to the wife must be informed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel which he has carefully laid out, Paul has carefully laid out in the rest of his letter to the Ephesians. Now, a number of years ago, we went through Ephesians. But Paul here is consistently and profoundly applying the extraordinary gospel of Christ to the real human on-the-ground circumstances of marriage between man and woman. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul addresses the wives first and then the husbands. So we're going to take it in that order. And in verses 22 to 24, he says this, "'Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior.'" 
Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So, submission. What's Paul actually talking about? Well, we started talking about that, if you remember, last week. But part of the problem we have when we approach these passages is that we bring a lot of cultural baggage to it. Because of the world we live in, when we hear this word submit, we can easily assume Paul is talking in terms we're familiar with, what we're, we've gotten used to in our culture, uh, like, like, cor- like a corporate authority structure. That's because in our world, we're really, we really care, care about power and authority and decision-making, who's in control, who gives the orders, and who calls the shots. So we can easily take Paul's words here and jump quickly to the conclusion that Paul is talking about marriage in terms of falling into line with decisions from a corporate controller or following um, orders from on high. But if we husbands think about our marriage primarily in terms of control and corporate decision-making authority, then the instruction, wives submit to your husbands, sounds like a license to turn the marriage into an unequal power struggle and arrangement rather than a loving partnership. This wrong thinking can lead husbands to ask the horribly sinful and unbiblical question, how can I make my wife submit to me? You guys had that discussion yet? (laughs) But then in reaction... Wives can end up either suffering silently or seeking subtly or sometimes unsubtly to subvert and undermine that control and the marriage becomes an unhappy power struggle. While married life does involve making decisions, like every aspect of our life, decision-making authority is not at the core of what marriage is really all about. Marriage isn't a business. At the core of a good marriage is care and respect between two people who profoundly love each other as equals and who want what's best for each other and whose aim is to make decisions by mutual consent. So husbands, anytime we categorically say no or refuse to listen to or consider the thoughts or ideas um, or, or opinions of our wives, we're wrong. God gave us wives to help us. God called them helpmates for a reason. Azer, one who helps. To be the men we're supposed to be, to be the husbands we're supposed to be, to be the fathers we're supposed to be. Guys, we need help. And God knew that. The problem isn't what Paul is saying here. The problem is our assumptions about what he is saying. That's why we need to go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, where Paul takes us, that Paul is saying that we have to keep in mind when considering the relationship between a husband and wife. Now, last week, we already talked some of the context in which Paul is writing. We, end, we ended last week by saying that everything that Paul is saying about all of our relationships 
comes out of the reality of being filled with the Spirit. We've been talking about sanctification, being transformed, being changed, being different, and then exhibiting all the fruit of the Spirit to one another. In addition to that, he prefaces this specific teaching with the fact that we are to submit to one another through respect for Christ. We saw that in Ephesians 5.21. And he says in Philippians 2, in humility, to value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of us to the interests of the others. So, the husband and wife relationship is a special example of order and submission. That's because it reflects the relationship between Christ and the church in a very special way. That's why Paul spends time specifically talking about that here. So what kind of order and submission is Paul talking about when it comes to the special relationship between husband and wife? Well, to answer this question, we need to look very carefully at the way Paul describes the nature of the uh, marriage relationship. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. That's the optimal point here in this verse, his body. The image of head, when combined with body, is not primarily an image of uh, domination and uh, subservience, but rather an image of giving and fulfilling, of grace and response with an active, mutual, but non-reversible rule for each. When it comes to Christ and the church, Paul in Ephesians doesn't talk about Christ as the head, as if he's a CEO of a company or of a military organization. Rather, Christ is head of a body. And this image describes an intimate and inseparable relationship in which the head gives direction and life to the body and provides what it needs for its own good. And the body then fulfills its purpose for the sake of the head. It's a collaboration. It's working together in harmony. Of course, there is a real order there. The head can't be swapped out for the body. You just can't flip that. But the order is not an order of domination or power struggles. The head exists for the sake of the body. It provides direction for the body and is in turn then fulfilled by the body. And the key way Christ showed himself to be head of the body is that he did something deeply sacrificial for the sake of the body. He gave himself. He gave himself up for the body, the church, and so is the Savior of the body. Now, though we are not the Savior of our wives, only Christ can do that, the fact that Christ gave himself in this way for the sake of the church as a Savior tells us something significant about the nature of the ordered relationship between husband and wife. And we're going to be talking about that in a minute. Now, here's the crux of the matter. Paul says in verse 24, But as a church submits to Christ, in this way also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. So what exactly does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband according to Paul? Submitting means voluntarily placing yourself within an ordered relationship. God's order. The relationship between Christ and the church is an ordered relationship. But when Paul talks about husbands and wives, he doesn't focus on ideas of ruling and decision-making. A lot of people think that's what this is all about. 
But instead, as, as we've seen, Paul describes the order in terms of the husband giving himself in love for the sake of the marriage relationship. The initiative rests squarely on the husband's shoulders. And the wife then responds to his giving and loving, therefore fulfilling that relationship. It's an order of love and giving and responding. So what does that actually mean for us? The only way this can really make sense to us if we have already received and responded to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we've been saved from our sin and from God's wrath, and if we have responded with love back to Christ and joy to what he has given to us in his amazing grace, we should then be able to start understanding how much that impacts Christian marriages. To submit in marriage is to value and honor your husband within the marriage relationship and to actively seek to build up and fulfill that relationship. It's to respect and honor your husband's initiative to seek to build him up, not tear him down, to support and respond to his initiative in his giving and loving for your sake and the sake of the marriage. So how does this actually play out? Really, a lot of it has to do with attitude rather than specific roles. If you're, if you're a wife, it'll mean things like having a soft heart and a warmth towards whatever initiative your husband takes to give and serve and love you. Now, admittedly, this can't always be easy. Sometimes it can be really hard because no man apart from Christ is perfect. And often we husbands blow it big time. However, even when your husband does blow it and get it wrong, it'll mean working to respect his efforts and a willingness to respond to his love. It'll mean trying to avoid having contempt for him or putting him down or always seeing the bad side or, or, or failing to trust him or always assuming he's going to do a terrible job. Or he's got some kind of ulterior motive. So submission as a wife is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. It has to do with building up, supporting, honoring him as a lover and a giver. Even as you seek to express your needs and wants, express who you are, express your disagreement if you need to, and putting out your own point of view. Wives, that's allowable. Husbands, that's allowable for the wife to express herself. This submission can and often does have a powerful effect on deepening and strengthening that marriage relationship. Now, what Paul doesn't do here is give specific rules about submission for every possible situation in life. That would be volumes, perhaps. But basically, it's because the submission Paul is talking about isn't fundamentally about following certain rules and taking on certain, a certain set of roles. It's actually about honoring the person himself and the relationship itself. And to be clear, submission in Ephesians 5 does not mean simply following your husband's orders in every possible circumstance or in everything he tells you to do. Paul does not say anywhere, wives, obey your husbands. 
The idea of following orders or obeying is not the fundamental point of this passage. In fact, there may be things a husband will tell you to do that you shouldn't follow. Unbiblical things, sinful things, abusive things, for example, is wrong. Abuse is not what submission is all about. Sometimes we get that concept of submission uh, that that goes along with abuse. They, They should just put up with it. Attitudinal abuse, the way you treat your wives. Verbal abuse, the way you say or what you say to your wife. Not allowed. It's out of bounds. There is no room in a marriage for that. That is sin. So for Paul, the marriage relationship has a particular kind of order, which is patterned on this special relationship between Christ and the church. And Paul describes this order in terms of the husband giving himself in love. For the sake of his relationship with his wife, and then the wife responding to and respecting his initiative, and so together they are fulfilling and deepening that marriage relationship. And We need to understand that it's never going to be perfect this side of heaven. Wives can't expect it, husbands can't expect it. But we Husbands and wives, then, have to be full of grace and forgiveness. Isn't that what Christ was full of? And we have to show that to one another as well, as we work towards Christ's example. But men, the initiative, the initiative lies with us. The more the husband is actually acting like Christ, as one who gives himself to his wife in love, the more the wife will respond. Isn't that interesting how that works? So, man, what's our problem? So, Pastor, I don't have any problem. <laughs> yeah, you do. We have a problem, and it's a serious one we can't ignore. It's a problem in our world, and therefore it's a problem that we have in countless ways, great and small, intentional or unintentional, men dominate women wrongly. Might not even have to put wrongly in there. And the problem can't be isolated to one particular group of men or one uh, color of men or any particular time in history. This has been a problem throughout history from shortly after the fall all the way to the present day. It's a problem for all men, and if you think you're somehow immune from it because you've got the right kind of ideology or the right kind of belief, the right kind of politics, or you belong to a right group of people, or, or you belong to a church, well, we're just deluding ourselves because a problem is there for all of us. The Bible doesn't shy away from this problem. In fact, the existence of this problem is one of the fundamental teachings of the Bible. It's called sin. It's called sin. According to Scripture, we live in a sinful and broken world, in rebellion against God and subject to His judgment. The sin of this world affects all of us, including God's people. And one significant way it affects us is in our relationships as men to women. Now, this started way back in Genesis chapter 3. In the context of God's judgment and curse on humanity, we read about the problem of men ruling women. Now that was part of the curse that came down upon women because of Eve's rebellion. 
And I quote, To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With a painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So that was the result and consequence of sin. But men, down through history, because of sin, have exacerbated that and taken it to a whole other level. So, what should we do about our problem, men? Just because we've identified a problem doesn't mean that we automatically know how to solve it, right? Our world today is trying to solve it by forcing equality and by the emasculation of men, often depicted in TV commercials. You've seen them, right? Showing men as doofuses, inept, incapable, just downright stupid. And at the, at the risk of sounding like a male chauvinist, all right, forcing the elevation of women over men in society, in business, in politics, in every other area is not the answer because this is a spiritual problem. It's not a social problem. Of course, it's right to ask the questions and pay attention to what's going on, but we're naive if we think that revolutionizing the structures is the ultimate solution that will fix everything. The problem is, in fact, far more deeply rooted than that. Like all sin, the root of the problem is deep within our hearts. So we need something far more radical to fix it. And the solution that Paul spells out in depth in his letter to the Ephesians all stems for the loving, sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sin. And we come back to Easter again. Easter is all the way through Scripture. It involves God making us new people and giving us His Holy Spirit to transform us in the way we think and act and behave in order to live lives in and for Christ. And in verses 25 to 33 there in Ephesians 5, Paul shows how Jesus' death on the cross for our sins works to transform that most intimate human relationship, husbands and wives. And in this passage, please note this. Men are never told to dominate their wives. In fact, Paul never even tells men to rule their wives. So what's the first thing Paul does as he turns to address husbands there in chapter 5? He reminds them of the gospel. Let's go back to Christ. More specifically, he goes into detail about the reason Christ loved and gave himself for the sake of the church. Listen. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a, ra- as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It's interesting how Paul, in a few short phrases, summarizes what he's already said about Christ and the church, but he doesn't just repeat himself. Instead, he takes the gospel and re-describes it in terms of marriage. He talks about the church like a bride being prepared for her wedding day, being washed and made splendid for the day she's going to marry the bridegroom. 
Why does he do that? He does it to show that the truth of the gospel, especially what Christ has done for the church, is not just something that saves us from judgment, which of course it does, but it's also a pattern for how husbands are to treat their wives. Paul describes here a particular kind of loving and giving that is a special responsibility for a husband toward his wife. It's what being a husband is all about. And this loving and giving is all grounded in Christ's own activity of loving and giving for the church. This is a radical commitment, a radical responsibility, and it involves not just our actions, but our attitudes. So let's take a look at two, the two key elements that we're responsible for. First, husbands must love your wives, just as Christ has loved the church. Now, the word love doesn't just mean feeling strong desires for a woman or having a sexual desire for someone. That, that's the world's kind of love. That, that, that's all they know. Guess what word Paul uses here in Colossians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 5? Agape. Yes. Do we need a, rem a reminder of what that is? The definition is there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Agape love. That's the Greek. Agape is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. Agape never fails. That's, men, is our kind of love. That's our kind of love. We should have those verses memorized. That's God's love that He showed to us. That's Christ's love for, he, uh, for, uh, for His church because of His great love for us, His agape love, His unconditional love, his, the undeserved love. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we're dead in transgressions. We didn't deserve that love. But that's agape love. And this love is seen most clearly in the second part of verse, in, in the verse there in Ephesians 5. In Jesus' act of giving, Christ gave himself for the church. And here Paul is deliberate, deliberately pointing his readers back to what he said earlier in verse 2 of that same chapter. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It's a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, all, while all believers should imitate Christ's sacrificial, that, that agape love, as we, as we relate to one another because we're all part of Christ's body, Paul points here, Paul's point here is that this loving imitation of Christ applies in a very particular way to the way a husband is to relate to his wife. In other words, the husband has a special responsibility and initiative in loving and giving himself for his wife. Yeah, but pastor, well, you know, what if my wife uh, isn't submitting to me? No, 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 no. No ifs. No ifs. Yeah, but no, no, no buts. Yeah, but what if, no, 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 no ifs, no buts. Love and give. Love and give. Love and give. 
That's what we're allowed to do. Love and give. Gentlemen, we have no right to exert our rights. The only right we have is to love and sacrifice and give up ourselves. Wives, in this relationship, have no right to exert their rights. Their right is to respond in love to their husbands as they are loving and giving. The reason there are, and I believe this in my heart, the reason there are so many divorces among Christians is because they blow this principle. We need to listen to the points that Paul actually brings out from the gospel here. Just as Christ loved the church by giving himself purposely for the sake of the church and to fulfill her purpose for him, so husbands are to love their wives by giving themselves purposely to and for the good of their wives and the good of the marriage relationship. Our daily responsibility is give ourselves for our wives to enable them to grow and flourish. This is for her good, but it's also for, for, for my good as well because she will then respond in the way that God wants her to respond. And this is not just a one-off sacrificial uh, event that we are to do. I mean, you know, she ought to be happy, Right? that I chose her. I'm such a great catch. No. It's about seeing our whole life given over for her good and acting that way every day. It's about taking responsibility in loving and giving. But it's not just about giving her things, gifts and time and, and kind words. Those are all great. My, my, love, my, my wife, lo- yeah, my love, that's true. Uh, my wife loves it when, when I do that. But the giving Paul is talking about here is much more than it's giving her yourself. That's because you belong to her. Have you ever thought about that? You know, when, I, my, when my wife and I got married um, on the inside of our wedding bands, we had written Song of Solomon 6.3, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And that's what we are. We belong to each other. I belong to her and my, and, and my job is to give myself to her every day. That means considering my life to be lived for her good rather than simply for my good. This involves taking initiative, gentlemen, to do things for the good of your relationship with her. And this ends up being good for you too. There are good consequences. Listen, the more a marriage grows, the more you give yourself to her, the more beautiful she becomes in your eyes and the deeper and more intimate the marriage is. So how does this play out according to Paul? Well, take a look at Ephesians 5, starting with verse 28. In this way, husbands too must love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also did for the church, because we are members of his body. And here he gives us a second example of how we are to love our lives. The first one was as Christ does, and here it's as our own bodies. 
This really involves two areas of our lives. It's our attitudes and our actions. What's our attitude toward our wives? We need to be thinking about her correctly. She shouldn't be seen as our property, nor as our competitor, nor as a convenient cohabitor with benefits, but rather as so intimately related to us that we treat her like we treat our own bodies. We are to cherish her, not despise her. You're to give yourself to her because she must matter to you profoundly. Marriage should never become a competition where if she wins, you lose, and vice versa. That's not the concept. Rather, marriage should be a win-win. You see, when we give ourselves for her sake, then it's good for our relationship, and we both then begin to grow and flourish together. We need to remember that God gave women to complete us, gentlemen, not to put a thorn in our flesh. And I don't believe that concept of Paul's complaining about his thorn in the flesh. Some say, oh, that's probably his wife. I, I, I don't think that. I, God didn't give wives to be thorns in our flesh. They think differently than we do. Not wrongly, differently. And that's a good thing. And when we, listen, when we negate their thoughts, their ideas, their suggestions, we are despising the wonderful help and gift that God gave to us. Our attitude should lead to loving actions. What actions does your wife appreciate and through which she feels your love? Not what actions do you feel she ought to feel loved. <laughs> what does she respond to? Have you asked her that? As you give yourself to your wife, you should listen to her and try, actually seek to understand what kinds of loving actions help her to feel loved and cherished by you, rather than just assuming. A helpful tool for you to work this out, both of you, might be Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. Many of you either read it or have heard about it. It's actually a very simple concept. Uh, love is communicated in different ways by different people. And Chapman identifies five key ways people express and receive love in a language that speaks to them. There's words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving or giving of gifts, quality time, and physical, not just sexual, but physical touch. You know, in our lifetime, my wife and I have done a lot of cross-cultural ministry. In order to minister in a meaningful way, we have to learn their culture and adapt. We need to learn their language and, and change the way we do things to show them that we love them and that, that we truly care. Folks, marriage is a cross-cultural experience. We need to learn, men, their culture, and wives, you need to learn our culture. And we need to learn which language expresses love to each other. And it's never just one. Learn them all. You know, one way I can show love to my wife, which I know she appreciates, I'll tramp around Ikea with her <laughs> for hours sometimes, and then sit down and enjoy a great lunch of Swedish meatballs together. 
It was funny, it just a couple weeks ago, we were doing just that, and a random lady came up and said to me, I can't believe how patient and gracious you are walking around Ikea with your wife. My husband would never do that. My wife appreciates it. We're spending time together. Have you ever asked your wife what makes her feel loved and cherished by you? Christ's love for his church really does teach us to love, cherish, respect, and truly give ourselves for the sake of our wives. Now, Paul wraps up his teaching in actually the 33rd verse of chapter 5. He starts by saying, Each one of you, speaking still to the husbands, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, as you love yourself. How's, how's that? Just as Christ loves his body, the church, and just as we love ourselves and take care of ourselves, we are to love our wives. We are to consider our wives as we would consider our own body. And it's interesting to note that at the beginning of this whole discussion in the earlier part of chapter 5, he starts, remember, by speaking to the wives. That's where we started this morning. But here, he's starting with the husbands. Why? Because we are the head. We are the, initiate, the initiators. Sounds like a movie title, doesn't it? It'd probably make a great Christian movie, actually, about, about the roles of a husband. We are the initiators. Man, if we take care of our responsibility, we'll have no issues with our wives. It's on us. The head is to take the lead. The head is to be the example. My head does what's best for my body. I care for it. I feed it properly. I lead it to exercise for strength. I try not to endanger it. I try not to hurt it or make it do something which is demeaning or hurtful or harmful. My body knows that it can trust my head. (laughs) And therefore, my body will respond to my head. Have I blown it and hurt my body? Yeah, I have. And my body reacts. If my body reacts strongly to being burned or cut or broken, my head will care for it and will try to not make that mistake again. What's the second part of that verse? And the wife must respect her husband. Now, guys, listen. We can't demand respect from our wives. Cannot. That is not our responsibility. Just because we're the husband, we can't demand respect, so don't do it. Eventually, it's going to lead to despising. I've seen this happen in a number of families. The husband has no agape love for his wife. He demands respect. He demands love. He demands submission. And if he doesn't think he's getting it, he withholds his love and becomes rude and nasty and vindictive to teach her a lesson. So wrong. Who's our example? Jesus. Does he do that? No. 1 John 4.19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. While we were still sinners, it says Christ died for us. That's agape love. It's an unconditional love. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, agape your wives just as Christ agaped the church. And if we love our wives in that way, she'll respond. It's a spiritual principle. It's amazing how that works. That's how God designed it. Give her a reason to respect you. 
We need to earn it. If we're belligerent and rude and demeaning and vindictive and hypocritical with life at home versus at church, we're not giving that, them a reason to respect us. We earn respect, and it comes from loving them and respecting them, treating them as equals, asking their opinions and advice and input, and then following through with that, considering them over ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2, if something bothers them, stop it. (laughs) Simple. Be gentle, be gracious, be loving, be giving. That's a lot. But that's why we have the Holy Spirit who transforms us, changes us, purifies us, gives us strength. Remember, for both husbands and wives, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Got to work at it. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. He needs to be the love with an agape love. Father, this morning, Change my heart, oh God. Hmm. Change our hearts. Wives' hearts, husbands' hearts. And I pray that we would just have a new understanding how to love each other with that agape, unconditional, undeserved love that you have first shown us. Transform our lives personally. Transform our marriages, Father. Yes, even within churches, there are struggles between husbands and wives. And so often it becomes because of selfishness. We get back to doing what we want to do. Father, I pray that we would look to the other and consider the other greater than ourselves. Loving them for who they are. Father, this can only be done through the power of your Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would just do the mighty work in us today. Transform our lives, transform our marriages, transform our families, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.